What a great day to be in church, amen? Today, uh, we're going to be taking a different approach. Yes, it is the Sunday before Christmas. And I, I know that you know, a lot of you probably came today expecting a Christmas message. Uh, but I think today's message on communion and the Lord's Supper is one of the most Christmas messages ever. Because without the cross, the cradle means nothing. Without the resurrection, our faith means nothing, amen? So as we, as we work through this Christmas season of following Jesus from birth, the story, this beautiful story, we find ourselves at, at a, something called the Last Supper or the Lord's Table, and, and the disciples are gathering around Jesus. But before they get there, it says this in Luke 22, verse 7 and 8. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. I just want to make sure we're all clear on what this meal represented in the time. The Passover meal, this meal represented the, the Israelites freeing Egypt. And they had, they had to leave so fast that the bread did not have time to rise. That's why it's unleavened bread in this, this dinner of celebration. And it represented the lamb, the Passover lamb. If you know anything about the story of Pharaoh and the uh, Israelites and their, their freedom from Egypt, it came from when they, they slaughtered a lamb and they, they, they rubbed the blood over the door and the angel of death passed by. And so they celebrate this Passover, this Passover from God that saved his people. And Jesus sends these two in to get ready for the meal. But here's what I read as I began to study this. Jesus, in Luke 22, 7 and 8, Jesus starts to plan the change of this dinner. He, at this moment, when he sends them in to celebrate, Jesus is about to change everything in this moment. And as we read through today the story, I, I, I want you to, to get active with it. I, I want you to, to respond with it a little bit in the way of, we set this beautiful table up to represent what the table might have looked like in that time. And as we read through scripture today and, and we read through this meal, put yourself there. Put yourself at the table. Imagine what it would have been like to be sitting there hearing these words of Jesus as we begin to read. Imagine what might have been rushing through your mind at this time. I'm a visual learner. So anytime I hear a pastor or a preacher speak, I always try to throw myself into the story. And I think the more that we do that today, the better we'll engage. Amen? So they sat at this table with Jesus. And here we go. In Luke 22, verse 19, it says this. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of me. I think it's very important that in this season we remember Jesus. That just as important it is at this table, we take a season to remember everything about him. And I wrote down just a couple things that we can focus on remembering. The first one I wrote down is to remember the promise of God. Remember the promise of God, the promises of God. The, uh, 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 someone wrote a book named Herbert Locklear, and he found 7,147 promises in the Bible from God. 
7,147,000 promises from God. And one of them that stood out to me at the very beginning, Genesis 3, 15. Just to set the stage here so, so we're clear, this is right after Adam and Eve have fallen. The serpent had deceived them. And God is speaking to the serpent here in this promise from him. He says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his feet. As he speaks to the serpent, this promise from God is that he will cause hostility between the enemy and the offspring of Eve. And we can look at this and know as we read through Scripture, he is promising that one day the Savior will come that will end the enemy. That that will end his rule. He, He will crush the head of the enemy. And there's so many times in our life that we need to spend time remembering God's promise. That he has promises for you. That he has a plan for you. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in living life, we forget how to find these promises. And I don't have an overly spiritual thing to say to this. It's very simple. If you read the Word of God and you spend time in His Word, those promises will be revealed. Your hope for a future will be revealed. That promises from God will start to become true in your life. You'll start to find yourself in hard times holding on to the promises instead of holding on to the trials. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a season of life where I felt like the world was caving in on me. And in the midst of it, as the storm and the waves crashed against my soul, I held tight to the steering wheel of the promises of God. He has promises and a plan. Amen? The second thing we can remember is it's important to remember the faith of others. In this season, it is important to remember the faith of others. As Christians today, we stand on the shoulders of people who have paved the way, the the early disciples, the saints of the early days, the pastors who have paved the way. And I'll just say this, Dan Frank starting this church in a movement in Reno, it's important for us to remember the faith of the ones that have come before us. You might be saying, why is it important for us to remember that, Shane? Because it's important to have something to look to in an earthly body to motivate us. I I look back at Billy Graham all the time. Man, Billy Graham was an amazing human being. And I remember his faith. When I find myself in a season of hardship, I look at him and I say, I see what God did through him and it encourages me. It builds me up. The third thing we can remember is we can remember the ultimate sacrifice. We can remember the ultimate sacrifice, especially in this Christmas season, that Jesus had a plan and Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. It started in a cradle, but it ended at the cross. And as I began to study that this, this week, this idea of Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice, you know what it revealed to me? The heart of God. The heart of God the Father. Because I have two daughters And I love them to death. And I actually began to weep in preparation over this point. Thinking about this idea of giving your child for someone else. Do you realize how much God loves you? He he gave his son. And I know sometimes for us that know the end result of this story, we know that, that there was a plan for Jesus to die but then rise again and be with him. But... Jesus went through every single 
bit of pain. Every hurt, every whip, every word that was spoken to him on that day, God did that because he loves you and he loves me so much. And in this Christmas season, I pray that we remember that Jesus was that ultimate sacrifice. As he, as he talked to the disciples in this story, as he starts to spread this new vision of the bread and the blood and the juice, he's saying to them, I'm going to be that. I'm the ultimate sacrifice. Imagine what the disciples were feeling in that moment. All their traditions, all the, all the stuff they thought forever. Jesus is reshaping their mindset here. We need to remember we belong to the new covenant, like I just said. Let me explain what this new covenant is, but let me read Luke twenty two twenty first. It says, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. There's a new covenant being made through Jesus. See, there was the Old Testament, and then now, because of Jesus, we live in the New Testament of the Bible. See, see but a lot of times I hear people talk about this, that, that Jesus came to destroy, to, to conquer the Old Testament. But we, we read something different in Matthew 5, 17. It says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses, or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Think about this. In the Old Testament, when someone like us, like a human being, we would mess up. We would do something wrong. We would do what the Bible describes as sin. And in that moment, there would have to be a, a sacrifice a, a repentance, a, an animal slain, and a sacrifice to God to, to wash us clean of that sin. And then Jesus comes and he sits around the table and he ushers in this new covenant saying, I will be that. I, the, the perfect lamb, the sinless one, will be that ultimate sacrifice. Will be that ultimate sacrifice. And as I begin to read this, I realize that in this new covenant, there is another sacrifice that has to take place. There is. When we give our lives to Jesus, we have to sacrifice our life, our desires, our wants. We have to, to sacrifice our own will and give it to God, saying, God, this is my life, take it. God, God, take everything inside of me. Take all that I've ever wanted and make it your will, God. Sacrifice my desires to you. Give me your desires, God. And it's funny, in the Christmas season, it's so hard to remember this. That we are called to sacrifice as believers. That, that, that this, this world we live in was not designed just for our will to be done for our lives. This world was not done, made so, so we could accomplish our goals. This world exists so we can serve the Father. Amen? You guys still with me? As Dan would say, if you're not having fun yet, I'm going to start over. <laughs> like, yeah, I won't do that. The, the next thing we need to remember 
Just as this new covenant is ushered in, we need to remember that Jesus' blood is enough. I want that to sink in. Remember that Jesus' blood is enough. He is enough. This new sacrifice, this, this, this perfect lamb that died on the cross for our sins, his blood is enough to cover your sins. And I know for a fact there's some people in here today who are still living in shame. You, you've given your life to Christ. You've asked for forgiveness, but the shame of your past still lingers over your life. The, the hurts, all of that still ties you down in your soul. But there's something that we do when we ask God for forgiveness, but we don't learn to truly forgive ourselves, to walk in the new creation. As God's word says, that when we give our life to Christ, we are a new creation. Really what we're saying is the cross wasn't enough. The cross might have been enough for some people. Jesus might have been enough for some people. But what I have done, it wasn't enough. And I had a mentor once told, tell me, because I'll just say this, my ledger had a lot in it before I gave my life to Christ. And I remember I would constantly feel these, these, these moments of shame and regret for the sin and the stuff I had done, even though I was a follower of Christ, even though I had given my life to Christ. And he told me one day as we were walking through this, imagine a whiteboard. Imagine a whiteboard and every sin you've ever committed, every thought you've ever thought is written on this whiteboard. And then you gave your life to Christ. You asked him to forgive you of that sin. You asked for his blood to cover your sin. And he came, and we view this often that he comes and he wipes the whiteboard clean, right? I don't think that's a, the best picture because what really happens is he takes the whiteboard and he breaks it, and he shatters it, and it goes away forever, and a new whiteboard is placed. That's how Jesus works in our life. When he looks at you today as a follower of Christ, he, he doesn't even see your past, see what you've done. He sees the new creation that was made because of his blood. We have to learn to live in that. To, to not let our earthly flesh keep tying us back to our old selves. We need to believe that the cross is enough. That Jesus' blood is enough. The only person that is keeping you tied to the shame and the guilt of your past is you. Jesus has wiped that ledger clean. Let's start living in that. Amen? The next thing I need, we need to remember as we're in this season of remembrance we need to remember to be on guard. We need to remember to be on guard. Because at this table that Jesus was at, sitting with his disciples, he says this in Luke twenty two twenty one. after he's broken the bread, drank the juice, and ushered in this idea of a new covenant, a new, a new way of giving himself, he says this, but here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. A lot of us know this story. Anybody know Judas? Anybody think ill of Judas? I'll be honest, I do at times. It's easy to read this story and look at Judas and just in our eyes today, think about everything that he did wrong, everything, mistake he made, everything. But we gotta realize that the enemy is looking for a way into your life. The enemy is looking for a way 
to get into your life, to turn your eyes from Jesus, to turn your eyes from the cross, to focus on this world, to, to focus on things that aren't of God, to distract you just enough so something like money can sneak in. Let's call it what it is. The only thing that the enemy did to Judas was use money. Judas just made a moment where he decided money was more important than Jesus. Man, I was convicted. How many times have I put my money, my time, my wants, my desires in my life over Jesus? It's easy to look at Judas and point our finger at him. But one of my best friends taught me once, as I'm pointing the finger this way, there's three more pointing back at me. The story, as Jesus talks to Judas at this table, it screams to me the grace of God. That he's sitting with this man knowing that he's going to betray him. Man, God is good. Jesus is good, but the enemy is looking for a way into your life. He's not going to stop. He doesn't take breaks. He doesn't take vacations. He doesn't book a trip to Hawaii and chill on the beach for a week. No, the enemy does not want you to be happy. He doesn't want the church to succeed. He doesn't want people to be saved. He doesn't want people to turn their lives around. He is on a mission to stop that. We have to be on guard. We have, to, we have to be on guard for his schemes so we don't fall into the same trap Judas did. And the last thing we need to remember is this. Remember our faith, our faith, everything we believe is more than just words and tradition. Because at this table, Jesus says to his followers that surely one of you will betray me. And we know now looking back that it was Judas but Peter responds at the table. He responds with this cry of, Jesus, I would never. I, I, Jesus, I would go to prison for you. I would go to jail for you. I would die for you, Jesus. I would never betray you. Remember, this man Peter is just one of God's closest, Jesus' closest friends and disciples at this moment. I would never do that. Jesus responds in Luke 22 that surely, before the rooster crows three times, you will. And as we know the story, this cry of I would never, this cry of I would go to jail for you did turn into Peter denying Jesus, turning his back on Jesus. Because it's easy to say the words. It's easy to, to say the things in our life, to, to play the role of church. To, to come here and put on the right mask and sing the songs and play the right role, but it's different when the gospel of Jesus Christ infects our heart. That's what it's all about. It's relationship over religion every time. It's conversations with Jesus every time, allowing him to truly invade our hearts so we don't find ourselves being like a Peter here saying the right things, but deep down in our core, not believing it. Not believing it. And as we begin to celebrate communion, this beautiful table, Jesus set 
at the table. And he grabbed a loaf of bread. And all this stuff we start to remember and we spend time thinking about is very important here. It says that Jesus took the bread. He took the bread. Just like God took Jesus from heaven. God took Jesus and sent him to earth so that his plan could start. This baby in a manger, this God in the flesh of man, is taken from heaven and brought to earth. And then as Jesus begins to set around the table, he says, he blessed the bread, gave thanks for it. And just as God echoed that this is my son who I'm well pleased, blessed his son Jesus. He blessed his son. And then it says that Jesus took the bread at the table and broke it. Broke the bread. Just like Jesus was broken for us. He was whipped, beaten, a crown of thorns put on his head, He was broken. And then it says after he broke the bread, he began to give the bread. Just like God gave his son for us. Just as God gave his son for us, we can see the gospel presentation of Jesus coming from heaven, blessed and broken and given in this communion story. See, Jesus had to be broken. So one day our brokenness is, I don't know if that's a word, our brokenness, our brokenness could be healed. Because God knew it would need to be a broken Savior to pave the way for humanity's brokenness to become beauty. Our stories and our brokenness our stories, our, our testimonies as we come out of brokenness through Jesus because he was broken, because he went to the cross for us, we can use our brokenness to change the world because his blood was enough to fix all of it. Amen? Can I pray for us? Father God, I thank you for your son for breaking him, for giving him to us, God. Even though we didn't deserve it, Father, we thank you for this table. We thank you for your son, your holy name, amen. Now as we begin to sing this song, this scandal, this, this moment of ultimate grace from Jesus, let us just be in a mental place of remembrance of everything Jesus did for us. Let us remember all those points we talked about and put ourselves at the table and how would we respond to Jesus today?